You're listening to the Zero Lives Left podcast, episode 13. Welcome to the Zero Lives Left podcast. What is it you have always wanted to do? Are you stuck going around in circles? Sound familiar? Maybe you have always wanted to start a business. Maybe there's a particular career path you've wanted to follow. Each episode, we bring you an inspiring insight from someone who has done it, how they did it, along with actionable tips on how you can make it happen. Now, here's your host, Wayne Denner. Hello and welcome once again, my friends. How are you? I'm your host, Wayne Denner, and welcome to another installment of the Zero Lives Left podcast. Thank you to everyone who has reached out and let me know how much they are enjoying this show. That really does mean a lot. It's an honor to be able to produce this content aimed at those who are in business, those who want to start a business, or those who want to get into a particular career path whatever that may be. On this show, we only hear from people who can add real value to you, the listener, because let's face it, your time really does matter. You're giving up your time to tune in to this podcast. I have another packed episode for you today. I'm speaking to fashion guru and PR boss, Kathy Martin. She's going to be sharing her insight and advice on why PR can help boost your business, what it's like to work in the PR industry, and her top tips if you're graduating in 2015 and you're looking to get a career in the PR business. Don't forget, as always, if you've not yet done it, please do stop by and rate and review this podcast. If you're listening over on Stitcher, please leave a review over there as well. If you've got anything that you would like me to cover on the Zero Lives Left podcast, please do drop me a tweet to at Wayne Denner or send me an email to podcast at waynedenner.com. All right, let's not waste any more time and get right in to episode 13 of the Zero Lives Left podcast with Kathy Martin. Now, in businesses both small and large, PR remains as important today as it's ever been. But what is PR? How can small businesses get more from their PR efforts? Effective PR enables businesses to get the word out about their company, their products and services to those who potentially could become customers. Using PR as a marketing tool allows you to gain credibility for your business. PR presents people with information from the third party. We are much more likely to trust coverage, uh, positive coverage about, coverage about companies that we read in the newspaper, magazine, or online. Having the correct PR in place is fundamental in taking your business to the next level. With the growth of personal brands, the PR agency now goes beyond that service that just businesses or brands, individuals can now access PR for themselves. So when it comes to PR, what do businesses really need to know and how can a career be developed in the PR industry? Joining me on episode 13 of the Zero Lives podcast is PR guru and entrepreneur Kathy Martin. Kathy, thanks for taking out time out to join me on the, the podcast. Thank you, Wayne. I'm delighted to be here, delighted to be talking. Well, listen, it's great to be in your new office out in Hollywood. Fabulous place. So thanks for having us here today. CMPR specializes in beautiful communications that evoke feeling and leave a lasting impression, which is really important for listeners today and businesses. Can you give our listeners more of an insight to life at CMPR and the kind of things that that you guys do here for businesses and brands? Well, PR is all about reputation. So building reputations or managing reputations or protecting reputations. So we, we work to do all three of those things in various different ways. And I suppose... The old kind of PR was straightforward, you know, meeting with your client, finding out about their product or their project or their event, whatever it might be, then creating, using your journalism and creative writing skills to create a press release about that product or event, and then sending that to journalists, and then the journalists would 
either interpret their own version of that and write it into a news story and use your own photography or get their own photography and they'd write a story and it would appear in the paper or be on the radio or be on TV. It's really different now, really, really different now. I mean, PR is, is much wider than that. Our remit sort of lies somewhere between advertising and journalism. And, you know, we're influencing so many more people than just journalists. So what we do is, yes, we still do the traditional press release, although some people, and I think it was one of the head of marketing in Coca-Cola Global, said that the press release is dead. I personally don't believe the press release is dead. Not yet. Um, so we do still write press releases. We do still have to be excellent communicators and really good writers and have fantastic grammar and a real attention to detail focus on, on grammar. So we, we write press releases. We do organise photography for our products and for our clients' products and projects. And then we do still send those to traditional journalists in newspapers, in broadcast radio and TV but a lot of what we do now also is about social media so we will do a lot with bloggers and we will do a lot on our clients Twitter and and Facebook feeds and other social media channels it really depends you know some days we can be counting out goodie bag things for an event another day we could be you know liaising with a celebrity who's an ambassador for a brand but most days it's pretty you know day-to-day stuff organizing we do lots of online research here before we launch any product for a client so there's lots of desk work too people look at not just my own personal facebook feed but i suppose cmpr's facebook and, and everything else and they get this idea that it's super duper glamorous and yes there is an element to pr where you're getting to see things first and you're behind the news and in front of the news and sometimes leading and driving the news the upside is there's a lot of graft in that and I think a lot of people coming into the industry don't really know or appreciate or respect the number of hours that it takes to do you know for example a big part of my business is fashion week so you know the fashion show itself might only last an hour but it takes six months to organize a series of fashion shows that culminates in Belfast Fashion Week. It's a lot of graft and a lot of hard work and a lot of toing and froing and all your kind of communication skills and negotiation skills come into play there. But yes, so that's what we do. And I suppose trying to explain to my 10-year-old niece one time what I did as a job, I said, you know, that I would take a story and I would sprinkle some fairy dust on it and then it becomes a magical story. And sometimes that analogy is a really simple way of saying what we do in PR. Yes, there are stories out there, there are brilliant products out there, but having a PR agent or an agency to sprinkle some fairy dust for want of a better word expression helps get that story out there and we connect people. So we're connecting journalists, bloggers, influencers on Twitter or, or wherever else with our clients' brands and projects. I like the sprinkling of the furry dust. Yeah, I, I love that's that too. magical. I think that's <laughs> nice. Now, um, can you give us an overview of your background in terms of a career path? Was a career in PR something you always wanted to get into or how did it come about? No, in, in grammar school, I didn't even know what PR was. I had no idea. Um, I did know what marketing was to a certain degree. But back then, at the time of choosing my A-levels, I thought I was going to do law with French. So I was very strong at languages and, and I still am trilingual. But I also loved the idea of doing law. And I was a very avid reader and, and loved you know words and I loved the debating society in school and things like that. So I really, really, really wanted to do law. But when I looked at the options in Northern Ireland, so at Queen's we had law with French. It was very much, it was Northern Irish kind of basic law. And then it was French, but it was very classic French. So you were still doing all of the literature and whatever, which is great. And I I love that. But I wanted something much more applied where I could mix the language with the legal. They didn't have that option in Northern Ireland and I did want to stay at home to go to university. My alternative then was with the University of Ulster where I then decided to go for a European Business Studies with Languages course and I absolutely loved that as my first degree. Had a, had a, 
a really brilliant time studying. I studied at Coleraine, lived in Port Stewart and Port Rush. You know, did everything from rounders on the beach nice. between exams, surfing, eating in the Ramor, all those nice things. And I worked part-time jobs while I was there, both in Kelly's nightclub and I also did some modelling and promotional work back then. And it was great. So I did that course continued with my languages I did do law as part of that because European law was part of my degree and I still loved the law and then I decided that I I wasn't really sure what I was going to do so after that degree then I went to the University of Aix-Marseille in the south of France and I um, went to this beautiful school the political sciences school in Aix-en-Provence right opposite the cathedral I lived on the Place de l'Hôtel de Ville I had the flower market below me every morning when I opened my shutters a beautiful beautiful life I studied international law, economics and geopolitics there. And while I was there, it was a presidential election. And so it was Chirac Jospin and Jean-Marie Le Pen. And it was a massive thing in 95, 96, I think it was. So at the time, I did my whole dissertation on the publicity of politics and PR around politics. So I didn't even know it at the time, but that was me looking at public affairs I mean, I don't do public affairs now, I'm very much consumer PR, but I love that whole side of things. And then when I finished, I went to the BBC and I did a media training course in the BBC. So I did journalism there and I didn't get my NVQ in journalism as I should have because while I was there, just before I finished with the BBC, I was offered a presenting role in RTE. So I filmed some 50 daytime TV shows with RTE all in one month, but it was the last month of my training um, in the BBC and they they told me to go and, and take the opportunity. So I did that. And then while I was there in Dublin filming with RT, then I got offered a job with Irish Distillers in France. I couldn't take it because I needed someone right away. So I said, I had to say no because I had to finish my contract with RTE. Um, and they said, look, we've got a place in Italy. So if you come in tomorrow, we'll do your interview in Italian. And I was like, okay. So my Italian was pretty basic at the time. But I did go in and I did my interview very pigeon kind of Italian but I got through and I got the job they were going to give me the job based in France anyway and if you have well they say if you've one European language it's one Latin based language it's very easy to pick up a second so I did go to Italy and within three months then I was fluent in Italian as well and I was out there marketing Jemison and Bushmills whiskey to the Italian market and back in sort of the mid 90s Irish bars were massive in Europe and, and in the States and in Australia and my brief was to take Irish whiskey out of the Irish bars and into the trendy bars. So I spent an amazing two years travelling around the best bars, restaurants and clubs of Italy, taking Jemison, bringing Jemison along with the sales reps and then talking marketing with the owners and trying to encourage consumers to drink Irish whiskey because for the most part, most people had only really experienced Scotch whiskey, which is slightly harder to swallow. It's not as smooth as Irish whiskey. So we had a great time doing that and then I came back and I continued to work for Irish distillers back in Ireland, in Northern Ireland, for Dillon Bass where I I worked on brands including West Coast Cooler, which we'll come to later. And I really loved it. And then I left there and I worked for, I left Irish Whiskey and then I moved to the Irish linen industry. And again, I was in a marketing role, but in a global marketing role where I was using my languages and traveling the world. And I had an amazing time. You know, I went to Hong Kong, I went to Japan, I went to Australia, I went to Paris probably 20 times with that job, Milan. New York several times and just had a you know a great time marketing a fantastic product but at the end of my sort of four years there it kind of coincided with Irish linen manufacturing being moved to mostly China or Eastern Europe or India and then it could no longer be called Irish linen so the trademark was sort of starting to lose its its power so I kind of saw this coming in 2003 we had the biggest sales of Irish linen ever including back in linen's heyday at the turn of the 20th century Um, And so I started looking for jobs and then I couldn't find one in Northern Ireland that I thought suited me, that I would use my languages and 
like let me kind of develop and, and work on export marketing. And I ended up working with Terry Bradley, um, the artist. We'd just done a project with him for Irish Linen. So Terry said he needed to do an exhibition and an event and would I help him out? And I kind of said, okay. I handed in my notice and I went off to work for Terry and did his event for £500 or whatever it was at the time. And, you know, I had no partner at the time to help me pay the mortgage. I, you know, I didn't know where my next event or gig was going to come from. But I took the leap of faith and went with Terry. And at that event for Terry, then I ended up getting some more work that night. And networking has always been one of my biggest, biggest business development tools. So I ended up getting more work that night. And it just kind of took off from there. So that was back in 2004, end of 2004, yeah. Were you not saying earlier on that the PR business is an old glitz and glam? South <laughs> of France, Hong Kong? Yeah, Australia. well, that wasn't necessarily the PR. That was export marketing. And <laughs> with export marketing, you do have to travel. And you know what? There are downsides to traveling too. You know, and, and I think when I was living abroad and hearing my friends and family here getting onto the property ladder, for example, and things like that, you know, that kind of made me want to come home. So I did, when I did come home, it was around 2001 and you know I think I probably would have stayed on but my father was unwell at the time and then he passed away in 2001 so I'm glad I came home for that reason too so he uh, you know so that was a big part of the reason why I came home and if not maybe I'd be sitting in an office in Milan somewhere the thoughts (laughs) yeah (laughs) now not only are you at the helm of a busy PR agency um, but you're also director and founder of the hugely successful Belfast or West Coast Cooler Fashion Week how did that come about? I mean, that's a pretty big event now in Northern Ireland. It's one of the big fashion events. Yeah, well, um, this season's actually our 20th season. So in October 15, we'll be celebrating our 20th season. So we just kind of passed our 10th year last year. And yes, we're now our 20th season. It doesn't, the math doesn't tally up, but that's because the first couple of years we only did one a year around the time I, I left it, the business I left Irish Linen I had done I had just done a big fashion show it was the 75th anniversary of the Irish Linen um, industry body called the Irish Linen Guild and, and their own trademark so what I did at that time to promote it around the world was I, I phoned up and emailed and, and faxed those were the days of fax left, and re- re- I wrote <laughs> letters to all the big designers of the world so everybody from you know Prada Armani Burberry Gucci Yamamoto in Japan, everybody. And I, I wrote to all of them and said, hey, look, you know, I know you've worked with Irish Linen in the past. Do you have any archive pieces or do you have any current pieces or do you have anything made out of linen that you love? Or, um, because I'm going to curate a fashion show and I'm going to take it around the world. And um, literally about three days later, packages started to arrive. So they started to arrive from Burberry and Armani and Prada. And, and it was just incredible. You know, people actually loved it. And there was a fantastic feeling of goodwill and, and whatever. And so I, I, I had this amazing show and then I, I, I kind of took it to Paris. And, and um, at the same time, we were launching Irish Linen Plus Lycra, which was a, a very um, heavily textiles focused project developed in Northern Ireland with DuPont up in Derry. And we, we started this. We, then we put together this very big promotional tour, if you like, for Irish Linen. And we took models and took them around the world and we just did a great show of, of and a showcase of Irish linen and Irish textiles so that was in 2002 and I, I brought it home here to Belfast and did a show which was probably the first kind of Belfast fashion week Betty Jackson was over as our guest and a few other bits and pieces Belfast fashion week had existed in other and another guise before I kind of started it um, it ran for a couple of seasons and organised by a former magazine editor um, but she left and moved to London and whatever so so it was open then for me to, to do it so we had done this big show for Irish Linen and then I just kind of I got in touch 
and said, look, I'm going to do Fashion Week. Is that okay? And then we just took it from there. We, we started back then and I went to Belfast Chamber and said, look, I'm going to do this. Can you help me? And they offered to put up sort of flyers and flags around the city. Not those kind of flags. <laughs> um, and literally, I just started ringing around retailers and asking them to come on board. And then we held it at the pothouse, you know, what was then the pothouse, a nightclub. And people just jam-packed in. And we didn't even have seats. We had wooden kind of benches. And everybody sat on the wooden benches and it was thonged. You know, we had squeezed 450, 500 people in. They were paying a fiver at the door. And, you know, it was just... We just didn't really expect it. And it was great. You know, we had Topshop there. MTV flew over in our first year. And that was kind of one of their first trips to Belfast to do something cool at the time. So we that, that started in 2005. And we then... You know, I ran it again in 2006. And then by that stage, I kind of thought, right, you know, normal fashion weeks are twice a year. Let's do this. And we started started doing it twice a year. We've had West Coast Cooler as a brand on board from the very beginning. They're a great brand and it's a lovely tie-in. You know, it's, it's an easy drink to have. It's not a big hard liquor. You know, for them as a brand, their sales have gone up, you know, thousands of percent since they started the association. We really love the association and you know I mentioned earlier that I worked for Dylan Bass which was a subsidiary of Pernod Ricard and Irish distillers that I'd worked for in Italy and so it was a lovely kind of full circle experience for me because the person who became brand manager for West Coast Cooler at the time of me starting Fashion Week actually had previously been my assistant in when I was in Dylan Bass in Northern Ireland so she's still there and we've still got a fantastic relationship and West Coast Cooler Fashion Week continues. So we've still got another, I think, two or three years of our contract, and I'm hoping they're going to renew that again after that. So that networking has become very important. I mean, you mentioned networking earlier on. Yes. So that's the networking actually working yeah. to its potential. Full circle. So, yeah. you know, every every communic- every relationship is a potential network for you, you know, sure. in business or even, you know, when at college or whatever. Because Karen was actually on her year out that year working at, as an intern when she was my assistant and then you know it came full circle and and we have a great relationship now and in fact you know just yesterday I was on the phone to her arranging to meet about other things so some of her brands would include Jameson whiskey for example again I know that brand very well having worked with it before in Italy but we're doing some projects with her now so it's just really nice to keep things full circle and and not just not just that relationship with Dylan Bass and with those brands but you know we work on a daily basis to network with people and I'm sure sometimes my staff look at me when I'm on the phone for half an hour to people who have become friends and you know you're asking about family and everything else but you know at the end of those phone conversations you might get a good chunk of business out of it so you develop relationships absolutely now um, with the development of all the new social media channels out there um, are more businesses obviously are looking to utilize these would you say that PR for business still remains as critical and as important as ever Absolutely. And in fact, you know, we would say social media is a big part of PR. The advertising industry says it's part of advertising too. So we're in a sort of a limbo period where we can't quite say who it belongs to. But that doesn't really matter because essentially social media belongs to the people and it belongs to the brands themselves. And I think one thing that social media has allowed brands to do is to become experts at their own marketing and their self-promotion. It has also opened doors to make it more dangerous. So, you know, companies and individuals can make big boo-boos and big faux pas on social media. And sometimes then that's where they call people like us in and we need to manage those reputations if things do go a bit awry, for example. 
So I think that PR, yes, very much is as important as ever. And in fact, probably more so because there are so many voices screaming and shouting about their products and their projects that you know PR will give a much more structured strategy. So you mentioned reputation earlier on. That's, that's a key component of what you guys do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, helping those businesses maybe manage and protect their reputation in, in, in relation to the online media. Um, what advice would you give businesses seeking to engage more with their audience? And how do you, what, what sort of things could they do right now? Talk to their audience, but also listen to their audience. And I think people, you know, lots of brands, even big global brands are guilty of this. They put out messages on their social media, but they don't realize that being social is is interacting. So, you know, when they put out these messages, which are consciously or subconsciously sales pitches, you know, people sitting on Twitter or on Facebook, they don't really care about your sales message. But if you make a really funky video, you know, that has a dog dancing or whatever, you know, then they'll engage with that because it'll be relatable and they'll be able to relate back to their neighbor's granny's dog who, you know, did whatever back in, you know, 1994. Um, So I think it's really important that that brands or individuals who are seeking to push themselves out online, um, I think they have to listen. And I think, I remember one time, my dad telling me you've got two ears and one mouth you know you should actually live like live your life in those proportions so I can't remember his exact expression but what he was saying was you should listen twice as much as you speak it's good advice um of course I'm totally guilty of doing the opposite um especially if I've had caffeine but um I think it is really important especially starting out to kind of observe what's going on around you so in your target market for example or even look at what your competitors are doing you know you're always going to have competitors even if you start a new and innovative project or product you know someone is going to come and copy or emulate your product and, and be right there on your heels so it's really important to keep an eye on what they're doing but don't get too focused on what others are doing another thing that my wise dad told me was to you know keep your head down and keep doing what you're doing and do it well um, no matter what people around you are saying and I don't think that means that you should ignore what's going on in your environment but I do think you know you should leave out any negativity around you and focus on focus on what you're doing and do it right now, social media is very much, a, and we're going a little left field here from, from what we're, we're talking about, but social media is very much a two-way conversation. Do you think brands uh, need to be more approachable? Do you think they need to allow more for that conversation to happen? It's less about pushing the message out right now, and it's more about engaging with your audience. Well, I think, you Have know, you found there's been a shift? Yes, for definite. There are still some people who are guilty of, you know, one-way comms, and, and mm-hmm. brands, especially the big brands with good budgets, for the most part, are, are actually starting to understand and, and, and change this. But some small micro brands, even micro businesses, are excellent at social media. You know, you look at the, the sort of rise in coffee culture, which kind of started around Melbourne and in Australia, and then it grew to cities around the world and, and has latterly come here in the last, especially the last five years. You know, lots of those businesses, those coffee culture businesses, but which are run by hipsters who know and understand and live and breathe social media, they're excellent at social media, you know, because they are listening to what their um, customers are saying. And their customers are, without prompt, you know, engaging with them, putting up pictures, using hashtags. And that's amazing when your customers or potential customers are doing that for you. You know, they're marketing for you. And that's a massive element of social media that some brands don't actually, or haven't actually embraced yet. You know, it's about... It's about doing things so well that other people do your marketing for you. So it's going right back to the old pre-advertising um, advertising, which was word of mouth. And word of mouth is the best form of advertising or promotion that any business can have. And so by 
encouraging customers to hashtag or to post photos of their coffee in your cafe or their or you know wearing their clothes in a selfie in your changing room if you're a clothes shop you know that is marketing your brand for you and that's word of mouth and building those brand ambassadors i mean going back to what your dad said earlier on i mean listening i mean listening to what conversations are taking place online and finding ways that you can meet the needs yeah of, of those customers and I suppose it's also you know if someone is aggrieved in any way you know it's dealing with that in a cool calm way but I must also say and you know this so well because you deal with you know lots of trolls online and, and lots of troll issues I would say um, you can deal with trolls but um, you know I think it's important to realise that you know people can hide behind their computers and hide behind social media and they use it very much as a mask so the difficulty for some brands is that you know they get completely slagged off not always legitimately, um, for very, very small, minute things, which can massively mushroom. And again, that's where a reputation management person or business needs to come in to, to advise and help these people. Because, you know, it's all very well to ignore maybe a little whispering, but sometimes that whispering can really turn into a rumble and then a roar. And that's what you don't want to happen. Um, and I think you know, social media is brilliant for so many things, but there are little kind of gaps and little holes where people need to be manoeuvred into a safe harbour. Now, you've been there, done it and bought the T-shirt um, and I know you've got a lot of advice. Three key bits of advice that you would give to students graduating in 2015. Maybe they're studying a PR degree or CAM or any of those uh, qualifications. What advice would you give them graduating in 2015 trying to develop a career in the PR industry? Well, my first thing is to get experience, um, as much as p- experience as possible. And I know that students, I've been there myself, you know, you're in this juxtaposition of having no money and you need to get a job to earn money, but most of the internships are not paid or they're paid very little. Um, and unfortunately, I just can't afford to pay interns. So we were very clear from the outset and say our internships aren't paid. But if you want to come and have um, three days experience with us we'll certainly give you an internship for three days and if you want to have a part-time job the rest of the week that's also fine um, we also offer opportunities for students to just come and work at the events that we run so that could be evening events or whatever else um, but whatever your niche is in PR and there are lots of niches you know if you want to get into more corporate PR or whatever there are lots of businesses out there who can um, help you Um, There are also associations like the CIPR or the PRCA who you can write to and ask about internships. But, you know, the competition is rife. So, you know, being a strong student academically will will be great. Um, But for me, anyway, my best interns have always been those who come in with gusto and they're prepared to do anything. So, you know, they'll be getting pictures off the internet to to maybe make up a collage to do a tweet or they'll be researching something really boring like newspapers in sorry it's not boring but you know for them it might seem boring newspapers in a certain county in the southwest of England or you know they might be researching um, dog products um, for another client so you know that you have to be prepared to take the the boring stuff with the much more exciting stuff and you know I'll never forget going into a PR agency in Belfast and actually being asked to to clean the legs of the table and the legs of the chairs by the boss. And I thought, right, she's testing me. Um, So I'm going to give her the cleanest, shiniest leg she's (laughs) ever had. And I remember I just cleaned them so, so, you know, I cleaned them so well and I Mr. Sheen them and did everything. Um, And she wasn't really testing me. She just said she didn't have anything for me to do. We've laughed about it since. She didn't have anything for me to do and literally that was the first thing that came into her head. But she said I did it really well. 
And then, you know, now I see our teams of volunteers backstage at Fashion Week um, stuffing goodie bags. And some of them, you know, some of them get on with it and do it and they love it and they sit and chat with each other as they do it. And others, you can just see they're totally thinking, this isn't what I came for. You know, this isn't... And they don't like it at all. Um, but those are the guys. They're the chaff, unfortunately. They're not my wheat. So I do separate them out. And it's the people who will do the most menial tasks with gusto and with passion and with pride even, you know, that will end up doing really well. Because someone who can apply their, 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 their desire to work, you know, it's very visible to an employer or a potential employer. So my first thing is experience. Second thing is... Um, you know, to get out and meet people and network and don't be afraid to, you know, go out and shake hands or go to events. So there's, um, I mentioned CIPR and um, PRCA. There's also PANI, which is the Publicity Association of Northern Ireland, which is more focused towards the advertising and publicity industries, but it's also um, very open for students. um, And most of these events will welcome students and it's a really good opportunity for students and graduates or, or even undergraduates to come in and to, to meet people in the industry. Um, and even if that's just meeting someone to say, hey, you know, can I come in one day a week? Or if it's some someone that you could ask really specific questions of, um, you know, that's that's my second thing is to get out into network. Um, and the third thing is to live a life as well. You know, I would probably prefer to employ someone who you know, has a really good network of their own friends um, who potentially someday I could tap into um, if I needed to for a certain kind of brand or project that we may or may not be working on in the future. So we don't want someone who's going to be a wallflower. It's not that kind of business. So if you are the quiet and reserved type, you may well still work in the public relations industry or public affairs industry, but you'd be better suited to the, to a more kind of research-led role. Um, certainly in my end of the business, where it's very strong consumer PR and there's lots of events to be done, um, I think we need people who are much more outgoing. So it's it's you know it's take a look in the mirror at yourself, and also take a look at your your, your personality and your strengths and realize what they are. And if you've got um, if you've got certain things to develop, like confidence and, and communication skills, then work on developing those. And roll up the sleeves and have that can-do attitude. Absolutely. Really important. Yeah. Now, finally, um, what does 2015 hold for Cathy Martin in business? I know there's a TED Talk coming up. Yes. Uh, tell us about the TED Talk. It's exciting. So the TED Talk is coming up on the 29th of May, and the theme is all about momentum, moving forward, building traction, gaining speed. So I suppose in terms of business, it's all about growing your business, whether that's laterally growing your business. Um, and I have had some lateral growth into new areas, you know, managing models and talent as well as doing consumer goods. So it's, it's looking at that. But it's also, you know, one of the things I'm going to talk about is that, you know, when you are moving forward all the time, sometimes you don't have time to think. So one of the things I'm going to talk about that day, I hope, and hopefully I'll talk about it well, is the importance of actually stopping so, you know, they say a rolling stone gathers no moss, but, you know, on the, the converse is that a, a stone stuck with too much moss won't roll at all. So it's finding the, the happy medium whereby, you know, you can stop, check in with yourself, check in with your gut instinct, because, again, trusting your gut instinct is a massive part of running a business or owning a business. It's about checking in with, with that and also taking stock of where you've come from and where you want to go to. Because although you might have goals say I might have goals now in May in 2015 but by December 2015 they may have changed and without trying to sound too girly you know 10 years ago I wasn't a mummy and I am now so some of my personal priorities are different you know I would have worked in 2005, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 I would have worked probably 15 hour days quite a few days of the week 
the weekends uh, included. No, the beauty of being your own boss is that if you work two weeks non-stop, 15-hour days, then you can take a long weekend in Paris if you want or wherever. But again, the downside to that is that you never switch off. So, you know, you can get a phone call at, you know, three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon when you're sitting having a boozy lunch in Ibiza and, you know, um, you've got to deal with an issue. So your friends have to be, you know, deprioritized while you go off and do that. And that's the, the downside to owning a business. So the positive is the flexibility and the negative is the, the, the never switching off. Businesses who are listening to this podcast maybe looking to reach out to you, find out a bit more about what you do, maybe avail of some of the, the services that you guys offer here. How can they get in touch? So our website is www.cmprireland.com. We're on Facebook at um, facebook.com forward slash cmprireland. Um, my email is kathy at cmprireland.com. I'm on Twitter at, at Kathy Martin and I'm on Instagram at, at Kathy underscore CMPR. You're busy on Instagram. I've been seeing some yeah. of the stuff you've been pushing out. Also, any students listening in, obviously, you know, great information that you added there in relation to those three key bits of advice, really, for anybody looking to develop a career in the PR industry. Is there any opportunities in the near future for internships? Is that something that might be in the cards? Absolutely. Um, we do offer internships all the time, and we work with the students to make sure that we are flexible to their needs. And we work with international students as well. We have a Spanish intern arriving at the end of the month. Um, so we we love having interns. Sometimes, you know, we're busier than others. Um, sometimes we can give them more attention than, than others. And that's why I think it's really important for them to be self-sufficient in so many ways. And yes, there are always opportunities here. So, you know, we'll try and work with students, even if it's just a one-week block uh, in the summer or if it's one day a week for X number of weeks. We'll definitely try and work with students, but there is competition, so we don't take everybody. Um, and we do prefer um, undergraduates or graduates as opposed to school students, but we do love school students as well, and we work quite closely with a number of schools. Um, my alma mater, Rathmore in Belfast, and also Methody, a um, couple of schools in Oma, have regular contact with us, and they regularly send us students who go down to work at Fashion Week behind the scenes. So those kind of kids, without sounding patronising, love the group, event activity you know they're working behind the scenes at fashion week for them it's big exciting it's brash and, and it's fun and we try and direct all the under 18s to, to work at fashion week so keep an eye on the website keep an eye on the twitter accounts for any of those opportunities which may come up absolutely there's uh, a there's an application sort of download um on the cmpr website um, and then if we ever have any jobs going we advertise those on the cmpr facebook before we finish up, um, Belfast Fashion Week, when is the next one? So the next one plans, is... Plans it, Yeah. The next <laughs> one's in October 15. We're already starting plans for that. We're already recruiting for that. We have some exciting new additions to the schedule and we'll be launching those in August 15. So it's our 20th yeah. season. Um, there are so many things which remain the same season after season which are kind of um, building blocks to the rest. But we do try and introduce new and interesting things to the schedule all, all the time. And I was looking back at schedules over the year, over the years there while I was on our, our, my Easter break. And I was just thinking, oh gosh, we did that. That was really exciting. I must do that again. Things which we did in the past, you know, like kids shows, men's shows, you know, amazing masterclasses with some top, top people from across the fashion industry. So, you know, we must look, I'm, I'm going to look at reviving some of those things for, for October as well. Kathy, listen, thanks for taking time out of an incredibly busy schedule to chat with me on episode 13 of the Zero Lives Left podcast. Thank you very much. Lovely to be here. I 
And that about wraps up another episode of the Zero Lives Left podcast. Thank you so much to Kathy Martin from CMPR. If you're a business listening to this podcast and you would like to take your business to the next level, please do stop by cmprireland.com. These guys specialize in creative communications that evoke feeling and leave a lasting impression. Don't forget if you've got any suggestions or comments on things that you would like me to cover on the Zero Lives Left podcast, I would love to hear from you. Please do drop me an email to podcast at wayandenner.com or send me a tweet to at wayandenner. If you're listening to this podcast on iTunes, please do rate and review the podcast. If you're listening over on Stitcher, please do leave a review over there. We're going to be coming back very soon with another episode of the Zero Lives Left podcast. Thank you so much once again for tuning in. Thanks for listening to the Zero Lives Left podcast with Wayne Denner. Make sure to check out Wayne's new book, The Student's Guide to an Epic Online Reputation, available from WayneDenner.com and follow him on Twitter at Wayne Denner. Tune in next time.